0: Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the one who desires to speak through your word. And so we ask that you would open our ears and our hearts to what you have to say to us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Be seated. Why did Jesus come? What did he come to earth to accomplish? Well, I have a hint for you. His purpose in coming wasn't his miracles. The very core of his reason for being on earth was not his teaching, it was not his healings, it was not his exorcisms. The very center for his coming to earth, the reason that Jesus came, was the cross. Well, that comes out very powerfully in a film that's one of the most anticipated films of recent years. There's been all sorts of controversy about it, and you know what I'm talking about, Mel Gibson's The Passion of Christ. I saw it this week on Thursday. In fact, I'm curious. I'd like to just ask if uh, you want to raise your hand if you've seen it. I'm wondering how many of our folks have seen it already. I know you've heard about it. It's been a controversial film, and I think that before you decide whether you're going to see the film, there are five things to know you need to know before you go and check it out. So here they are. Number one, the passion is violent. It's rated R for extreme violence. It's about the most intense movie I think I've ever seen. And in fact, it's so gripping that it's more of an experience or an encounter than it is simply going and sitting in front of the big screen. It's gut-wrenchingly brutal, and it's extremely realistic. So it's violence. Number two, the passion means suffering. That is, don't go expecting the full gospel story. It doesn't include any of Jesus' teaching, except maybe with brief flashbacks. It doesn't include the birth narratives. It doesn't show anything about his growing up, except maybe in a brief flashback. The passion comes from the Latin term to suffer, and it has to do with the 12 last hours of our Lord Jesus' life. It doesn't depict his ministry. And, you know, there is a long history in the church of reflecting about the passion. It is seen as a spiritual help. For our devotional life to reflect on the suffering of Jesus. The passion is violent and the passion is about suffering. Number three, the passion means that God is passionate about people. After all, the whole reason that he underwent that was to rescue sinners desperately in need of help. The whole reason for the passion is that God desperately loves people. So the passion is is an expression of God's passionate love and commitment to human beings. Number four, the passion is not anti-Semitic. It's not in any way it portrays the Jewish leaders as being culpable in Jesus' death, but also the Roman leaders, also the crowds, also his disciples who ran away. It's not in any way anti-Semitic. The message, if you start looking for who killed Jesus or to blame somebody, then you're missing the whole point of the gospel and of the film. The point is that our sins drove Jesus to the cross. Our sins are what led God to that ultimate sacrifice of his son. Everyone abandons Jesus at the end. Nobody looks heroic in the film. Maybe Mary comes the closest, but there's one hero, and that's Jesus Paul says it this way in Romans, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Number five, the passion is art. I think the movie is a masterpiece. I think it's probably the most profound film I've ever seen. It's true to the gospel accounts, and yet there's interpretation woven into it. There has to be. The gospels are so brief. One of the Gospels simply says it like this, after they had scourged Jesus, they led him out to be crucified. And that's it. So there's a little bit of imagination woven into it. And I think even though there's not a warrant for that in the text of the Gospels, there is good reason artistically and theologically, and it makes it a stronger film. The passion is art. It's not literally The biblical account in some ways, but it's a powerful statement of the gospel. So should you see the movie? Well, I think it calls for discernment, but I recommend it. The movie lifts up the incredible love of God that shines through the unthinkable cruelty of the cross. But you need to decide for yourself if you're particularly in a in an emotionally vulnerable place or if you are you feel that you're especially susceptible to depictions of violence then don't see it and don't bring your kids but the movie is powerful and the love of god shines through in the midst the majesty of jesus shines through in the midst of his suffering as never before the movie shows the real cost for human sin and that God had to deal with it at the cross. After all, that's why we sing during the Lenten season leading up to Easter. That's why we sing the songs like, "O oh, Sacred Head, Now Wounded. That's why we sing the great hymns like, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. That's why the cross is the most common theme in all of the history of art. I've done a lot of study in art over the years, and that's the one theme that keeps coming up again and again and again. The cross is at the center. It's the most important event, Jesus' humiliation, that makes us whole. And the Apostle Paul said it this way in the passage from Philippians 2. Jesus, who being in the very image of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Instead, he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, there's something compelling about the cross. There was a British journalist, Malcolm Mungeridge, and he talks in his spiritual autobiography about how transfixed he was by the cross. He was almost obsessed by it, even without being a Christian. And he started looking for the cross all over the place. He'd sometimes even see random sticks or boards in a construction site crossing each other, and he was driven to the cross of Jesus again in his mind. Finally, when he came to understand what the cross represented, he became a Christian. I remember once with our daughter, Loren, when she was four years old, and we were down at Santa Barbara visiting the old mission. We walked around on the mission under the old willow trees and in the flowers and gardenias in that garden. We were about to head down the path, and all of a sudden, little Loren saw a cross. It was a crucifix with Jesus on it, a a really big one. She was transfixed, and she was upset But she couldn't take her eyes off it, and it seems like it was the first time that she ever really noticed the cross. And she said, why are they doing that to Jesus? And we explained it to her, and she said, but why does he have to die? And she kept asking the question. Well, she was right. That's the central question. Why does Jesus have to die? Let me touch on four things briefly about his death. Number one is Jesus chose to die. He was not a victim. He was totally in control. He said, I lay my life down, and if I lay it down, then I pick it up again. No one takes it away from me. I lay it down myself. Jesus told Pilate, you have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. The way that he showed his authority At every step of the way, every step He took toward the cross, that's authority. Jesus chose to die. That's why there's no room for asking for who is to blame for Jesus' death. Number two, Jesus' death was according to God's plan. This was not a new idea. This was an ancient plan that God had been working out. So from the days of Israel and the temple, they'd offer up lambs as sacrifice to Take care of their sins and to get right with God. That happened year in and year out. Jesus' death was not because the old plan was insufficient or it was a surprise to God that it didn't work. The old plan of the sacrificial lamb was pointing to how God would deal ultimately with sin in the death of Jesus. The prophet Isaiah wrote four or 700 years before Jesus' earthly career. And he looked forward to Jesus and he wrote, using these words, he wrote about him. Yet it was our weakness that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. We thought his troubles were a punishment from God for his own sins. But he was wounded and crushed for our sins. He was beaten that we might have peace. He was whipped and we were healed. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word like a sheep led to the slaughter. Just like a sheep is silent before its shearers, so he didn't open his mouth. From prison and trial, they led him away to his death. But who among the people realized that he was dying for their sins, that he was suffering their punishment? It was the Lord's good plan to crush him and fill him with grief. Incredible. Who'd come up with a plan like that? And yet God knew that it was the perfect plan to deal with sin, and yet as the ultimate expression of his love, taking the sins of the world upon himself. The apostles in the New Testament said it this way, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. For Christ, our Passover lamb, says Paul, has been sacrificed. The third thing is this. Jesus' cross, His death, is the great dividing line. The cross is the great dividing line of history. Again, in the New Testament, it says we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. His death makes us right with God. That's why that Paul says that that strange and wonderful plan of God, he says that cross is a stumbling block to Jews and it's folly to the Gentiles. But it's the key to discovering who we are in God. It's the key to discovering new life. Paul goes on to say, I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. A few years ago, Stephen Covey came out with the book, Seven Habits of Highly Successful Persons. A lot of the book I've forgotten in the years since, but there's one point I think is powerful, and it stuck with me. It's his line, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. (laughs) I think that's a fantastic point. That'll help you in the Christian life if you remember, keep the main thing the main thing. That's Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. It's the center point for all of history. Peter didn't get what the cross was all about. He has this great affirmation of faith. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He sees Jesus as God, but he doesn't understand that that means he has to go the way of the cross. And you know what? We do too. That leads to the fourth point. Jesus' cross is for us too. Here's what it means for us. If we want to be fully devoted followers of Jesus, we have to accept a cross too. Now that doesn't mean we have to carry a piece of wood up a hill and get crucified. But what it does mean is we have to die to ourselves, to our self-will, to our agenda, to putting ourselves number one, to devoting all of our time and energy either to making money or to getting our own way. It means that we... Die to our own self-will and we put His will first in our lives. We're not in charge anymore. We have to put our own interests and wishes behind us. We have to accept sacrifice for His sake. And you know what? I'm trying to learn that in my own life. It's a hard lesson. One of the ways I'm trying to learn that is simply to be quiet instead of defending myself. Not when the word would be a help to somebody else or an explanation, but... You know what? So much of the time, my explanations are trying to make me look better in somebody else's eyes. And I'm trying to learn that lesson. Well, our response is like the hymn the choir sung earlier today from Revelation 4. Our response is to fall down and worship the Lamb who was slain. He's worthy to receive praise and honor. And you know what? When you do that, you don't have a thing to fear in life because He's handled it all on the cross. Let's bow in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are faithful, that you made the ultimate sacrifice. Thank you for the good news that in dying to ourselves, we get new life and forgiveness and hope and a future. We get meaning to our days and we get a work to do. and We get a home and a family in you. We thank you for that. Help us to hear that message this week in all that we do to reflect it. In your name, amen.